This is Healthcare Now Radio's Trending Now. I'm your host, Jared Johnson. Join me and my guests as we discuss the latest topics that are in the news or getting social media traction in the universe of healthcare and health IT. It's a fast-paced 30 minutes, so sit back and listen as we kick off the show with what's on trend now. Today, we're going to cover the Omnibus Bill and two of the year's early healthcare conferences, CES and JPM. And to help me, please give it up for my guest, Roberta Mullen. Roberta is Editor-in-Chief and Managing Partner for Answers Media Company and Station Manager at Healthcare Now Radio. She kind of does it all. Welcome, Roberta. Thanks, Jared. Great to be here to kick off the show. That's right. Let's start off with, like, who is Roberta? Can you give us a quick summary of your background and anything else you'd like our listeners to know? Sure. I'm behind the scenes a lot, so a lot of people just know me, but they don't really know me. Thanks for the opportunity here. I've been in healthcare for 30 years. My background really is in IT. I installed some of the very first pharmacy systems in the 80s. And so I'm from there. And then EHRs have been in my blood for a long time. And then Carol Flagg, the other partner at Healthcare Now Radio and Health IT Answers is my partner. And we started this 13 years ago. And here we are. That's amazing. The timeline itself. I mean, the thing to think about what you were talking about 13 years ago in health IT, it still just kind of blows my mind. It's fantastic. And that also is going to lend itself a lot to the types of things we want to talk about here. So, you know, let's just dig right in. Let's let's look at, you know, the question that our listeners probably have, they're probably asking is probably at the top of their mind, which is, so why are we launching a new radio show? So what do you say to that? What's what's here? You know, we're both working with with radio shows and podcasts. We're producing shows. Like you said, we're behind the scenes. So why are we launching a new one? And why are we calling it Trending Now? Yeah. So talking with you and talking with Carol, one of the things that we really realized is that between all of us, we get literally 50, 60 pitches a day about what's going on and people that want to be guests on our, our shows. And so when we started talking about this, it's like, well, we have all these podcasts, we are talking about what's going on, but are we really, do we have the pulse and do we, are we, are is our finger on what is trending right now? Because you know, as well as I do, this industry changes on the drop of a dime. So what is actually trending now? This is going to be a little different that when you go back and you might not necessarily want to go back six, seven months and, and listen to one of our shows because it's not trending now. Trending means right now what's popular currently. And on top of it, it's it's a term that's used for social media. So we want to look at what's trending right now. And that's what we want to talk about in our industry in health IT. Yeah, thanks. I'm going to double down on the part you just said about how quickly the industry changes. It changes on a dime and not just things that we know about, but things that as you become more aware of them, you realize how much they impact everything else. And you can point to just anything in any headline right now to realize that I don't think anyone is surprised by the fact of how quickly things move. But the information that we need to be able to digest and quickly understand and plug into whatever we're doing day to day in the trenches, it's it's really important. So yeah, absolutely. That's the the birth of this show. That's the reason why we're here. And tell you what, Roberta, let's just dig in. Let's let's talk about what's on trend here. We want to start talk out uh, we want to start off talking about the omnibus bill. There were a lot of healthcare provisions that were just kind of at the forefront for the whole country just recently. We're talking about just really days ago, really just a couple of weeks ago. That's right. Let's start off, like, what, what can you tell us about the bill? And then we'll just go from there. Well, first, you know, 
Everybody needs to understand that it's $1.7 trillion worth of spending from the government. And as always in any spending from the government, healthcare is right there up on the top. Besides the Pentagon, the healthcare comes right in un- under that. Some of the interesting things, and Medicare, of course, government is the Medicare provider. A couple things that I thought came right out was physician fee schedule. Every year, the the physicians are worried about getting their fee schedule cut and getting less money for doing the same or doing more. Well, the omnibus this time put in a conversion factor for the next two years. So this 2023 is going to be 2.5% increase and 2024 is going to be 1.25. So they are going to have an increase in their fee schedule. I thought that was kind of interesting. One-year extension on alternative payment models. There was this gap going on where nothing was, they weren't going to get any money for that. And so they plugged that hole. Telehealth, they're extending two years the COVID flexibilities on telehealth, which everybody is very happy about that. I I don't see anybody grousing about that. And then I thought, interesting too, accurate acute care at home. The waivers are going to extend for two years. Right now, they're, they, if you have a waiver, you can actually get paid. The hospitals and the physicians get, get paid if the person is being cared for at home. You can still bill. You don't have to be in the office. And so they're going to extend those waivers for another two years. All very good. And then the other big area that I thought was interesting was Medicare in mental health, which they have not been Johnny on the spot with uh, mental health. I mean, they've talked a lot about it, but, you know, talk is cheap. But apparently they're going to put some money into it now. And one of the things that I thought was an interesting commitment was that every year Medicare funds residency programs positions, and they're going to add 200 new positions throughout the country. And 50% of those are going to be psychiatry. So that's a real commitment to healthcare. It really is. I mean, it would be missing the target, I feel like, if it had not included some of those extensions and some of the provisions for mental health. Let's face it, we need it. If we kind of look at the theme there, it does feel like there is support for alternative ways of caring for yourself and your loved ones. You know, when you talk about the acute hospital care at home program, right? I think we're going to be hearing a lot about that because quite frankly, you and I were even just trying to figure out, wait, what was the term they used for that? (laughs) We'll probably be hearing more about that this year and what the government actually defines to include in the program. But the fact that there is funding for it now does tell me that there's an opportunity. And you mentioned telehealth. I mean, like you said, nobody is complaining about that. Everyone sure seems like they're they're happy about that. That needed to happen. There were a lot of, especially health IT vendors and providers who were just looking at like ever since the second half of 2022 of like, okay, well, that probably needs to be on the shelf. Like we're going to hold on that until we know whether those emergency waivers happen and if they ex- they're extended. So now I feel like some of the hard work is going to have to happen in terms of where does telehealth go from here. But the fact that it is included in the bill and the fact that it was prioritized, it feels like, is, is a big deal. Well, and also on the telehealth, remember that they've really extend, uh, expanded that. When we think of telehealth, we think of a, a virtual visit or whatever. This is incorporating remote, remote 
patient monitoring, um, therapeutics, that kind of thing. It's it's a whole it's a whole plethora of stuff, not just visiting over Zoom. Or I know you're not supposed to do that. So anyway, those are the big things that I thought were really key. But there's a lot more, and we could talk about it, you know, extensively. There's a couple other parts I was I was reviewing just from the employer side what it has in store for them. And so the things I learned are that that employers will have the option to provide pre-deductible coverage of telehealth services for people with high deductible health plans. So that was part of the extension. And that was a part that wasn't clear to me at first when reading through some of the highlights of, of what's included. And you know what that means is now for employers, this provision allows health savings accounts, so HSA qualifying high deductible health plans, to cover telehealth and other remote care services, as you were talking about. So it's not just straight from the provider or health plan. It's it's also including employer-provided coverage. And I think that's significant. I mean, we can't deny that part of the population who that's where a lot of your healthcare choices start or end is what does my employer cover? What does my health plan, what, is my, what do my benefits include? And so being that specific to me, again, was hopeful. That was great to see that that's part of it. It needs to be spelled out that clearly for us, I feel like, to be able to know what to do with it next. Right. And remember that Medicare is for 65 and over. So when you're talking about all of these things, it doesn't take long for the private insurance to follow behind Medicare. As goes, when Medicare makes these type of things, you'll see them also in the private, on the, in the private sector also. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. I'll tell you about one other thing that stuck out as I was just going through back to that acute hospital care at home. The part I didn't know, well, there's a lot about it I didn't know. Again, I'm learning as as I go through the bill. But uh, not only are those waivers being extended for two years, but I didn't realize that CMS has approved more than 250 hospitals to participate in this program. And so, you know, maybe that is something that that will come to light more as as we get further down that road of hey, you know, it's worth it for us as a provider organization, as a health system to qualify for that program. If this omnibus bill hadn't happened and that wasn't included, nobody would be asking that. We'd be like, how do we pause that for a while? Like, there's just no imminent future for it. And so, again, when I, I, I like to think also from the, the patient's or consumer's perspective on all of this, you know, what's the impact? It feels like this is supporting the empowering of us as patients and consumers to, to seek care and and seek it in in new ways that hopefully you know we can all work together on to provide that and also to save in costs so studies show that the most expensive place to get care is in a hospital so of course that a hospital wants to find other places and in the home taking care where you're at is going to be less expensive than bringing them into a hospital, right? Right, right. Most expensive and probably the least desired place to be taken care of. (laughs) We talk about consumer experience or patient experience. I mean, who wants to? And I would definitely exclude specialty care, a a surgery, a a procedure that you've planned, those kinds of things, things that we know have to ha- happen either at a hospital or at you know an ambulatory surgical center, those, those kinds of things like in a, in a facility where, yeah, telehealth isn't an option for a procedure. But yeah, for everything else, like truly optional or elective care, 
man, like, do you really want to be in the hospital? Right. Like I said, it's the most expensive. Every day you're in the hospital, it's more expensive than any other place. Even if you're being cared for, a home health nurse, just not having round the clock person that you have to pay, like the nursing and the ICUs and stuff like that. So yeah, perfect. Perfect. So true. Yeah. So there's a lot for us to sink our teeth into, but those are some of the highlights that stuck out to us there. If you're just now tuning in, I'm Jared Johnson, and you're listening to Trending Now on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm speaking with Roberta Mullen about the Omnibus Bill and two of the year's early healthcare conferences, CES and JPM. So tell you what, Roberta, let's get back into that. In fact, what this is a perfect place for us to look at a couple of these early healthcare conferences in January. You know, some folks are fortunate enough to be able to attend CES or the JP Morgan conference. And I will put a little asterisk next to this saying, You and I were not there in person, but we were following both shows to see what came out of it, what themes stuck out, and and those who did attend, what they were talking about as they were there and then in in the short aftermath afterwards. So CES is held always at the beginning of the year. It was held January 5th through 8th. It's always in Las Vegas. JP Morgan was held January 9th through 12th, so immediately afterward in San Francisco. So I don't know how much of an overlap there is between the two, quite frankly, between attendees. But I do feel like there are some overlaps in some of the things that were being talked about afterwards. And I can just throw one of them out there from, from CES. And I'm going to quote friend of the the program, you know, somebody that we're both a fan of from Jane Saracen Khan from her health populi blog, which again, one of the most well-respected health economists uh, who gives us such a, well-rounded perspective that helps us see, I feel like, more than just like our narrow view of healthcare. She helps put so many things together. So I really respect her blog and her as a, uh, as a person, as a consultant. And what she talked about and focused on from CES was how consumers are continuing to lean into digital services. And she described it as, as consumers going beyond tech and hardware. So while we're talking about, hey, investments might be going in a different direction and those types of things. What she's saying is, well, you know what? Consumers themselves are still wanting to make healthcare a part of their lives in ways other than traditionally going to see a doctor. And so she was focusing on, she even like tied it back to our basic human needs. When you look at what, you know, those, it harkened back to my psychology classes in, in college. We learned about Maslow's hierarchy. And she compared this to some of the things that were talked about in CES because that's really what's driving the type of uh, consumer health behaviors. Because at the very bottom of that pyramid, again, for, for those who aren't familiar, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a way to describe how to understand what our needs are as humans and how they stack on top of each other. And at the very bottom of that pyramid is our psychological needs. It's safety, food, water, shelter, just basic safety. Yeah, yeah. And so if those needs aren't met, then we are not looking at other needs. We're not looking at our self-esteem or our social needs or self-actualization, which is referred to at the top of that pyramid. But I just thought it was so interesting that this was a theme that she picked up from CES because what she's saying is that that's what's on the minds of consumers, whether they realize it or not. That's going to be driving future healthcare choices in terms of, do I go to Best Buy and pick out, you know, now they're offering over-the-counter hearing devices, right? That used to have to 
be only available from a provider. Now I can get those at at Best Buy, you can go down to the electronics store. So what's driving somebody to go to their electronics store and pick up something for their own health? What she's saying is that those desires are either being more realized or just being addressed better by a lot of offerings out there from the consumer electronics world. So I thought that was interesting. She is really good at that. If you're not tuned into her, we're, we're actually, just like Jared said, we're both big fans of hers. She's a, she's one of the most connected economists in our in our industry. And she does, she does the greatest thing. What she connects sometimes, this is just, what you just said is one example, but if you go back and read, she can bring in the most interesting what's going on right now to what's going on in health. But yes, the patient, patient consumer is driving digital services now. They, they are, and they will continue to do it. And I, I appreciate it extra because, extra from what she said, because I was looking at who was exhibiting at CES before the conference was happening. So like the end of December. And I will just between, I want to say just between you and me, but between you and me and our listeners, right? Like there, there were not a lot of companies I expected to be there trying to make a, a play for themselves, trying to plant a flag in the ground to say like, we're a healthcare enabled consumer electronics company or brand or player. We want to be in the space. There were not a lot that I had heard of. And I think that's that's part of it. I think CES, though, is going to take another couple of years to get back to where it was. You know, the, the health se- sector of that particular expo was really just taking off before COVID. And I think it lost some steam. So I, I think we're going to see the, that change in the next couple of years. What do you think? Well, I could see that because you're right. It, it tended to be focused on when when wearables as a category just seemed so far like on the frontier, like on the bleeding edge. And now we're like, yeah, we've had how many generations of even basic fitness trackers, Fitbits and Apple Watches and, and you name it. And those healthcare capabilities have increased on those types of devices. But yeah, very clearly when... CES was the place where a lot of those fitness trackers made their debut. And yeah, now we're probably talking seven, eight, nine years ago. And so, right, that's one area that comes to mind. And then just a lot of at-home care enabled devices that supposedly probably could help in one way or another. Everything from continuous glucose monitoring devices to other remote patient monitoring devices that were being provided by tech companies that did not start out as healthcare companies, but they're like, hey, our tech can do that thing. And all of that was enabled by, in my mind, the provider, or at the very least, the health IT component or team or person in an organization recognizing, yeah, that's part of a, a workflow that's going to be useful for our providers providing care. It still had to be adopted even if it was something that was used at home, it had to be adopted by a provider organization for the most part. And that does take time. That whole process, the education there, has to be recognized or, yeah, or, or a lot of things don't get adopted. And it's almost like, what is it, you know, the, the hammer looking for a nail, you know, just solutions looking for a problem to solve. I definitely get that vibe sometimes. Jane's blog is Health Populi, P-O-P-U-L-I. We totally recommend you to look it up. She's great. On the two, I would say on the two, you say we were just talking about CES and then you're going to talk about JP Morgan. Remember that these two, one, CES, huge international expo. JP Morgan is invitation only. 
So they're totally two different things coming out kind of at the same time. But interestingly enough, they have some of the same trends going on in there. Right. You were seeing a trend in between the two. Perfect way to transition here. But they both, you were kind of seeing, may play off of the omnibus bill, ironically, what we were just talking about, and money that's available or waivers that are extended. I mean, you want to go into that a little bit? We were reading some of the trends coming out of J.P. Morgan, and one of the things was that, and I was really kind of surprised about this, but the hospitals' health systems seem to think that they're going to have a better financial year in 2023. Of course, They haven't had one in the last couple of years, but they do think that money is going to rebound and they're going to get some more, even in all of the problems with the staffing continuing to decline. They still think that they're going to have some good years, which I thought was interesting in that currently we do a lot of, at the end of the year, we do a lot of experts and leaders to give us predictions about 2023. And so we've been reporting on that on my sites and One of the things that was really big was that the investment money is not going to be coming in. In the last two years, we've seen a lot of investment money and coming up. It's and I think it was like, you know, that throwing the pasta on the on the wall and seeing what sticks. There was a lot of money just being thrown on the wall to see what sticks. And the word on the street is next year, no, you got to show us that it's going to stick before we're going to give you money. So I thought that was interesting that that the health system say they're going to have a better financial year, but our side on the on the innovation and everything else is going to be harder to get money. Well, it's true. So it leads me to wonder this. And again, I don't have any inside information here. I haven't spoken with a whole lot of CIOs or, or CDOs about this, but I can't help but wonder, does that mean that there's going to be a trend of of those CIOs and, and, and chief digital officers who are responsible for purchasing all of these new platforms and point solutions? Are, have they kind of had it, like, are they reaching this point where they're like, okay, we have enough individual point solutions. We've bought a lot of them. We have tried them. Like, is this part of a maturity of the market a little bit to where they're saying, you know, they're the ones who have purchased individual pieces, some of them clinical, some non-clinical, some are digital therapeutics, some are more, you know, workflow or rev cycle, billing systems. Have they just, are they just reaching that point where like, we have enough, we don't need more point solutions, we don't need more platforms, we just need to figure out and optimize the ones that we already have. I can't help but wonder if that might be part of the reason why a health system would feel like, you know, I think we'll have a better year because we're not going to make those major investments. We're not, you know, we don't have to go through the next, yeah, an epic upgrade or whatever. We can push that out. I don't know. Well, one of the things that they're saying, though, is that technology is going to have to solve some of this staffing shortage. It's going to have to do that. So whether they have that or not, I know that that is a, that's big on their mind because nobody thinks that they are going to be that the staffing shortage is going to go away. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So I, you know, I can't wonder if part of that is the historical promise, if you will, of digital health has been we're going to improve workflows. They're going to make it so you need there's less administrative burden, especially on the rev cycle side. And hey, look, look, we can implement AI in so many different clinical ways. So, you know, has some of that 
I mean, some of it was hype, but some of it was based in a lot of fact and, and evidence-based you know, performance of these of these tools. So yeah, I think that, you know, it, it brings up a lot of questions for me in terms of, you know, we'll keep in mind throughout the year where some of these things go. And if halfway through the year, we're like, oh, wait, actually investments are happening, even though p- people said they weren't going to. I think the two biggest technology investments are going to be, again, continuing on the interoperability. The rules came down, they've got to have a lot of stuff in place. EHR certification has to be The new certification has to be in place. So a lot of that. So interoperability and how they're going to use technology in lieu of their staffing shortage. That's a great point. That's a great point. All right. Well, Roberta, any final thoughts here before we go? Well, I'm excited to listen to your show as it comes out of the out of the gates, as they say. Right. And thank you for letting me be your first uh, guest. No, thank you. I've been so happy to have you here. And and I think we could keep going back and forth and and looking at other things that are trending now. But yeah, I just want to thank you for joining me today. So, you know, for our listeners, you can learn more about today's show on our program page on healthcarenowradio.com. And make sure you follow the show's hashtag TrendingNowHC and follow me on Twitter at Jared Piano. Until next time, if it's happening in healthcare and it's now, it's on Trending Now. 